Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Well, this morning, we, we're so excited about this, and I'll just go ahead and give you uh, like a preface in terms of if you're going to be around here for a while, you're probably going to hear a message on friendship regularly. Like I'm going to say this is at least once a year, because this is a really, really core thing to our church. And, uh, and we, of course, are centered around Jesus, becoming more like him. Uh, we're so interested in being consumed and filled with his presence. But we, we've kind of set up one of the hallmarks of our church of family. I mean, you hear us talk a lot about family. And when we say family, we don't just mean like nuclear family. We see that a little bit bigger as like friends that become like family. So we say family is like one of our uh, four values. Our mission statement is cultivating the kind of family that Jesus introduced to the world. And so family is a big deal here. And when we say family, we mean friends that become like family. And you've probably guessed why it means so much to us. Like this, friend, or this church was started out of a friendship first that then started with dreams and other friends that came in. And, uh, and so this is such a core way we feel like we can follow Jesus is having good friends and pursuing good friendships. And the reason we think this is so important, and I'm just going to do a a little intro, and Tyler's going to bring, like, what's the Bible say? But the reason this is so important and why we feel so convicted on this is because one of the major things plaguing our generation, our era, is loneliness. I mean, we are, like, the loneliest era of all time. We're the loneliest generation of all time. And so one of the big ways we feel like we can combat almost the, the epidemic of our time, no pun intended, is friendship. And having good friends and becoming good friends, because loneliness is one of the things that takes people out quickest and most often. And there's a few reasons for that. These aren't necessarily bad. They're just realities right now. But number one, our families are more broken than ever. And so there used to be this like safe, like safety net of relationships where it's like, maybe I'll make good friends, but if I don't, like I'll live in the same city as my parents. I'll have a good relationship with them. My siblings are going to be my best friends. And divorce has just become more uh, prevalent. We've seen, we've seen, I've seen, and you probably experienced this, hopefully not in your own family, but like more arguments over money and inheritances that like totally shatter families. We've seen like sibling rivalries increase for whatever reason, or these weird in-law relationships that just didn't seem to be as prevalent um, 50, 100 years ago. And so a big reason we're more lonely than ever is because we've kind of taken away this, the safety net of family. The other one is we're more, more transient than ever. And, and I'm totally guilty of this. Like, I don't live in my hometown right now. But we're just always moving. Uh, the average American moves 11.4 times in their life. And so we're always in different places. And the more you move, and maybe you've experienced this, the more you move, the more you're like, maybe I don't need to set up good friends here because I'll just move again. Or they're going to move. And there's this temptation to be a little bit more, like, guarded and reserved because having good friendships hurts when you have to leave. So more broken than ever. We're more transient than ever. Uh, this one, totally guilty. We're busier than ever. Like, we are just so busy. And our standard of, like, living right now is either you're busy or you're swamped. Like, there is no, like, busy is just the standard. And the problem, I mean, there's many problems with that. The problem as it relates to loneliness is the busier you get, 
the more often you don't invest in like the, the non-essentials and hanging out with friends, like developing friendships feels not essential. And, uh, and so it's like, well, I could do that later or I'll hang out once a month because once a week is a lot. And we start to just lose the rhythm of friendship. Mm-hmm. And the last one, and I know we feel this because of social media, but the definition of friend is more shallow than ever. Like, I mean, I could literally add friends up here on my phone if I wanted, but not even beyond Facebook. Like, we've defined friends as, like, we do this thing together sometimes instead of, like, it's the person that I can bear my soul to. It's the person that I want to tell, like, my deepest and darkest things or I'm really struggling with this. And friendships have become just a little bit more of a shallow thing. And the reason we're so convinced, we are so convinced of friendship is because it is all throughout the Bible. I mean, the Bible is riddled with stories of people who are doing things and then hit something and a friend comes in and helps or friendship like enables them to do it together. And the biggest one being Jesus, like Jesus, our hero, like the founder of our faith, the one that we are here to worship. Jesus, I mean, think about his life. He did ministry completely in the context of friendship. And he was such a good teacher, but it was the friendships that he made that actually changed the world. And the teachings that he did were so good, and they, they heard those, but it was the friendships that he did. And at the very end of his life, uh, before he was crucified, he even tells them, like, guys, I want you to know, I don't just view you as servants. Like, I actually view you as friends. Like, you've become my friends. And Jesus did ministry in that. And we feel like the more and more that we're conformed into his image, the more and more that friendship actually is the tool to do that. And the problem with that is, just setting up the problem Tyler can solve the problem for us. The problem is you just don't drift towards mm. things that are good for you. Mm. We, like, our natural ability, our natural inclination is not to drift towards something that's healthy. When was the last time you, like, happened to be at the gym at 6 a.m.? Like, oh, I don't even know how I got here. Like, that doesn't happen. When was the last time uh, that community got hard or friendships got hard and you're like, I think I just really, like, want to lean in. Like, I don't want to run away. Like, the, the temptation is to run away. The temptation is not to be at the gym. When was the last time you saw me eat a salad? I don't know. I don't know what I'm thinking. I'm trying I don't so drift. <laughs> I don't know. It was a few weeks ago. I'm still recovering. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just don't drift towards <laughs> things like that. What we drift towards is what's easy. So we drift towards the couch. We drift towards isolation. We drift towards fast food. The problem is friendship isn't something you, like, naturally drift into, like, a good, healthy relationship. Mm. And, and you've probably, I'm going to read Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, uh, if you want to turn there. You've probably heard this verse. You've probably heard it at a wedding. It's great. Maybe it was at your wedding. Still love it. This is more than a marriage verse. This is like an overall relationships. We want to have good friendships. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes said that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But Pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And so we think that we need good friendships for so many reasons. We need good friendships because it's for our benefit, but also we need to learn to be good friends because there's a theology of friendship that is all over Scripture. And I am so excited to walk us through it. So we're going to go into the classroom for the next few minutes. Are you guys ready? We're taking a sprint from Scripture from the beginning all the way to the end. And we're going to see, I think, just putting the thesis out there right up front, that friendship from the biblical perspective um, is a significant, devoted relationship between two people, right? So significant, uh, it's something that's very meaningful. Devoted, it's something that lasts between two people. And so I think this is a portrait we see again and again and again. It appears in book after book through Scripture and chapter after chapter. It comes from multiple authors spanning multiple centuries. And in fact, it's such a prevalent 
excellent theme that there's a theologian named Drew Hunter who writes, uh, trying to summarize the entirety of Scripture. He says, this is an appropriate summary for all of the Bible's teaching. He says, hey, in the beginning, we walked with God in friendship, but then we walked away, and now God is befriending us again. So Drew Hunter who's someone who's studied the text from the beginning to end, knows the Bible inside and out, says, as a result of his intensive study of the Scripture, that language of friendship, right? In the beginning, we walked with God in friendship. Then we walked away. Now God's befriending us again. He says, the language of friendship is the most appropriate language for summarizing what the entire Bible is all about. I find that fascinating. And he makes that argument in his book, Made for Friendship. I'm going to make our version of that argument now. So if you've got your Bible with you or if you just want to follow along or write it in your notes, uh, we're going to begin in the first book of the Bible in the first chapter. It's Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 1, and we'll start at verse 26. Uh, so Genesis, the very, very beginning, the book that tells the account of God forming the world and creating, kind of setting up an order by which things should happen in his perfect world. Um, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we read, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. So let us make mankind in our image. So just 26 verses into the entire biblical text, we're presented with an image of God, and we're presented with, by an image of God who exists in relationship, uh, who exists in community, who exists, if you will, in friendship. Uh, if you've been around Christian faith communities for a while, perhaps you've heard this described as the doctrine of the Trinity. It's this concept that the one God of the Christian faith exists in three persons who are intimately connected. Um, and if that sounds really confusing and complex to you, it totally is. I get it. Uh, and I would love to talk more about that, like over coffee sometime. Chris would get into it. You can email us. You can find it all over our website, citychurchotr.com. There's ways to get a hold of us. I'd love to dive deep into that um, at some other setting. But here's what matters for the purposes of our conversation this morning. Here's what you can't miss in Genesis 1. The entire narrative of Scripture begins with deep abiding relationship. Uh, with God's friendship, with God's self. Our one God in three persons is relational, and so he made humans as relational beings. And then a little further down in the Genesis narrative, we get to that first human, Adam, and the text presents Adam as being God's friend, as being God's friend. This is where Hunter, in his summary of the biblical text, said, we walked with God in the garden, right? So there's many ways that Adam could have related to God, many ways that God could have related to Adam, and yet there's this image of Adam as God's friend is one who walks and talks with him in the Garden of Eden. And the biblical text doesn't stop there. If you are flipping along, the next big stop we're going to make is in Exodus 33. So that's the second book of the Bible. So early on, we're seeing this idea of friendship develop. This theme is beginning. We get to the book of Exodus. And in Exodus 33, the author is recounting the ways that Moses, who's like the great leader who led God's people out of Egypt, he's trying to recount the way that Moses would interact with God. And the author says in Exodus 33, verse 11, that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks with a friend. Right? So the Lord would speak face to face with Moses as one speaks to a friend. And this claim that like a human could talk with God as a friend, this would have been absolutely like astounding in the ancient world, okay? Because the ancient people would have known of gods who, you know, were great ruthless masters. They would have known of gods who delighted in the plight of humans. They would have known and maybe worshiped gods who demanded incredible sacrifice. Uh, but these gods weren't friends. 
These gods didn't care about their relationships with people. They weren't intimately connected with the people that they ruled over. And yet, here in the ancient Hebrew scriptures, as they're being developed and they're disclosing the account of the God of the Bible, who this God is and what this God is like, we see a God who befriended Adam in the garden and who spoke to Moses as one speaks with a friend. This God, unlike the other gods the ancient world knows, was actually a, a friend of the humans that this God made. All right? Need more evidence? We can keep yes. going to Isaiah 41. Uh, in Isaiah, we stumble upon an Old Testament prophecy. So a prophecy is like a message from God delivered to God's people. And this prophecy talks about a central biblical figure named Abraham. So Abraham's a person to whom God made a promise, hey, Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. So like a big figure in the Old Testament. Well, in Isaiah 41, verses 8 and 9, we read, as the prophet speaking God's word to God's people, uh, we read, but you, Israel, my servant Jacob, so this is God's way of saying, hey, you people who follow me, you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have loved, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, and from its farthest corners I called you. Now, what's significant here? Um, and you could read the entire thing in context in Isaiah 41, but again, for our conversation on friendship, what's fascinating is that speaking on the Lord's behalf, the prophet Isaiah, communicating God's thoughts for God, says, hey, Abraham was my friend. Did you know, in fact, Abraham is referred to as a friend of God throughout the Old and New Testaments. Mm -hmm. And so this radical new idea that entered the world through the Hebrew Scriptures and then has become a key theme in the Christian faith is that the God who made the world can be a friend with the people that He made. And that is a unique idea in human history. You won't find it elsewhere. But as Chris said, the, the key to the biblical theology of friendship is not just that God can be humans' friends, but humans can be friends with one another. And so there's so many examples throughout the Old and New Testament of good human friends. I mean, if you're wanting to read some more of these on your own, we can't forget the story of David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel, right? So these besties, one like, I'm the son of my dad who's your sworn enemy, but somehow we became great friends, right? It's fascinating reading all throughout 1 Samuel. There's Ruth and Naomi in the book of Ruth. There's like book after book that documents all these historical, devoted, faithful, flourishing friendships. I mean, it's almost as if one could say friendship is all over the Old Testament and all over the New Testament. Because when we arrive at the New Testament, which mainly tells the story of Jesus and Jesus' first followers, uh, we see that Jesus is described as being a, quote, friend of sinners. Uh, this is a big deal in Matthew 11. So people are trying to undercut Jesus, and they're like, hey, look at this dude's friends. These aren't the kind of people you'd want to hang with, right? Look at who he'll surround himself with. And so it's almost an accusation around friendship that Jesus chooses to claim and take on, like, you're saying this to make me look small, but I'm telling you, yes, I am a friend of sinners. You shouldn't be shocked that the one who's come to redeem the world is spending times with people who actually need redeeming. You should have been doing this all along. Again, read it for yourself, Matthew 11. But then there's my favorite friend of Jesus, and this would be Jesus' friend, John. And John's the person who wrote the book in the Bible that bears his name. In fact, he's got a lot of good books. He's like the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in Revelation. So he's doing all right for himself. But John... Who I would say is Jesus' best friend. I mean, Jesus calls him beloved so frequently. John spent a lot of time with Jesus. And his gospel is unique, I think, in part because they had such a close relationship. It stands out from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then John's is like super, super special. 
And John's the one who really paints the image for us of a God come to earth to show us how to live and to redeem everything that's ever lived. I mean, it's a beautiful portrait that, God, or that John paints. And John's one who tells us very clearly that Jesus, when he came to earth as perfect humanity, he didn't have, you know, a spouse. He didn't have a partner. And he wasn't married, but he had John as a best friend. And John spent hundreds of weeks with Jesus. And after Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended, John wrote about his time with Jesus. And in John chapter 15, which is the chapter that Chris alluded to a little earlier, in Jesus' final tender words to his disciples, we hear these words of Jesus recorded by his best friend John, who writes, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's business, but instead I've called you friends. There's this partnership, right? For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And this is my command. He's summarizing everything before he goes to the cross. So this is my command. Love each other. So here's the big idea. If we're trying to summarize the biblical text and look at this biblical theme of friendship, uh, Jesus came to earth to offer us his friendship. He came to earth to offer us his friendship. He came to earth to show us what friendship looks like, how to sacrifice, how to put others' needs first, how to care for others with both grace and truth. And he came to extend his friendship, which is God's very own friendship, to us. And he said that greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And notice it's not one's spouse, it's one's friends. It's not one's kids, it's one's friends. It's not one's employer, right? It's one's friends. And again, this would have been so significant in the first century context. Anyone would have laid down their lives for their spouse. Probably even today, anyone would lay down their life, right? Anyone would lay down their life for their kids, right? I mean, I think Miss Saigon, she's saving her little son. It's my favorite musical, right? You will not touch him. Don't touch my boy, right? Mothers will do that in any time, in any place, right? That's not discounting it. It's just to say, Jesus is saying one step beyond that. If you're following me and you're getting how people that could be strangers and not related can become friends, there's no greater love. Greater love knows no one than this than to lay down one's life for one. Friends. So again, so many more verses we could have looked at, but this theme of friendship, it flows through Scripture, which I think leads us to a question we wanted to ask of this space. Okay, if, if friendship is something that's real and valuable and significant, if it's so meaningful, how do we build friendships that'll last? I mean, maybe you guys have convinced me. It's like, okay, Chris and Tyler, we get it. We're in a loneliness epidemic. Families are broken. We need more friendship. I mean, all the stuff we've shared, okay, we get it. Friendship, it's big in the Bible, but how do we build friendships that will last? Well, we are so glad you asked. Uh, we prepared just a few ideas um, for ways we could build friendships that last, and we're going to move through these kind of quickly, but I want to give the first one. If we want to build friendships that'll last, we think one of the first things we can do is to cultivate self-awareness. Mm. Cultivate self-awareness. If you're doing the fill-in-the-blank notes, that's the first one, because Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters but the one who has insight draws them out. And the idea is this, what's going on inside each of us is like difficult to analyze and put our finger on, right? It requires some work to know what's really motivating us at our core, what's really driving us to think a certain way or be a certain way or demand a certain thing or not demand a certain thing, right? 
And so we think that those who want to be good friends, they take the time to explore their own hearts. They assess their motives, their desires. They honestly evaluate what makes them tick. They go back and they like name old wounds and identify the effects of those wounds. Uh, they own up to the good and the bad and the ugly that shapes their decision-making and their behavior. They, they cultivate self-awareness. And we're just telling you, self-awareness is critical to friendships that will last because mm. people that are self-aware, uh, they can recognize when they're being unreasonable. They can recognize when they're being a little demanding, when they're uh, reacting to current circumstances out of an old wound or maybe just out of some fresh tiredness. Uh, I don't know, Chris can attest, this isn't in my notes, but sometimes, as a children's librarian for a bit, I can be a little teapot. Do you know this song, I'm a little teapot, short and stout, right? I can be a teapot in this sense. I can heat up, heat up, heat up, and then it just comes out in a little <laughs> steam. Does that sound fair? Sure. Okay. It is, it totally. And sometimes I have these sweet teapot moments and we've gotten to the point in our relationship where I can recognize it when it's like, man, I'm bringing probably a week's worth of something into one moment. I get it. And Chris is sweet enough and knows it when I'm doing that, right? So this is self-awareness. This is self-awareness. How do we cultivate self-awareness? Uh, here's some ideas. Journaling is a great idea. Journaling things we're thankful for, but also things that frustrate us is a great way to be like, oh yeah, I tend to get mad about this, 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 and I tend to like this, this, this. Uh, there's different counseling that helps with self-awareness. There's having trusted friends that can reflect things back and let you know, hey, you tend to do this. Uh, but however you find self-awareness, whatever helps you grow it, it is a key step. In many ways, we'd say the first step, if you want to build friendships that will last, uh, you learn how, who you are and how you respond to others, and it helps you love others better and love others well. The second thing, uh, as we were just talking through what are the application points how do we actually become better friends self-awareness was like right at the top of the list we've got to have that the other thing is uh making like forging friendships having like really resilient friendships or committing to them and uh, and i'm just going to say like it's being a friendship that is forged not manufactured if you think about like the two processes in which you make things like forging things takes time and it takes heat and it often ends up stronger than like something that's like manufactured in a day. And so we want friendships that are forged, not manufactured. Mm. Uh, and this ties in, if you were here last week or if you listened, uh, I talked about conflict and healthy conflict. Man, those two things just go right together in talking about good friendships. Um, Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. That's such a fascinating way to put it. But he says, actually, the, the, the kisses, the, the love that you get sometimes actually could be not the best thing for you, but a wound from a friend, a tough thing that's spoken from a friend actually can be trusted. And I think Proverbs 27, and I alluded to it last week, and yeah, maybe I'm the conflict guy, but the reason that we have a culture of acquaintances and not friendships is because we can't take that step past those hard moments. And, and we often, I mean, we live in a culture, probably no one here, but we live in a culture where it's like, yeah, I've got lots of people like, I could call, I've got their number, I did this thing with them once, but we don't have many friends that actually can like take with us the, the hard moments or the confessions or the, look, you did this wrong. And those come with time. Uh, they come through like more of a forging process than just this like instant effort. And, uh, and it's the ones that really last over time that you'll find are the ones that you are drawn more towards Jesus because of. 
And, uh, and so I want to liken it to this. Um, if you'll bear with me, I'm, again, I'm not a prop guy, but I want to talk about being, having friendships of steel versus having friendships of glass. Um, so having friendships of steel versus glass. A friendship of steel, did you know this, science people? You probably did. That when you hit steel, it actually becomes stronger, not weaker. Hmm. And so we are going to like do this <coughs> this morning. Um, yeah. My lovely assistant. Sure. Can you bring that? This is where Sia got that song Titanium from, right? <laughs> yeah. This like prop. She made it. Sure. Oh, I'm so ready. Yeah. I didn't know that about metal. This is kind of exciting. Well, you're an English major. I know. That's true. Wouldn't have had the time. Thank you. Gosh. Uh, this is... This is the, come on, where the blood come on, came from. Come on. I, uh, so, and you don't need to like back up. I think you okay. guys are going to be okay. okay. I'm glad I got these goggles on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, when we talk about being a friendship that like actually is forged through things, we want to be the kind of friends that like actually can take the hard content. And, uh, and last week, <laughs> just helping with sight lines and also my own comfort, you yeah. know, just a little, yeah. <laughs> so last week I talked most about like having good conflict and like, don't be afraid to say the hard thing. And I'll be honest, that's probably even the easier element of this. Mm. The, even the harder thing is saying, okay, when I receive the hard thing, what am I going to respond with? Or how am I going to respond? And you have an option. You can be a friendship of glass or you can be a friendship of steel. So when you hit steel, when you just decide, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be resilient to the hard things that come, and I want to get stronger, you'll notice, I haven't tested this out, but I hope it works, the steel doesn't break. So actually, it gets harder. If you choose, when hard things come, to just flee. And, uh, and I'm not going to accept that. I really don't think I want to be a part of those hard, hard conversations. You'll find that actually when you swing the friendship of hammer, when like this thing comes in, it doesn't get stronger, but it... <laughs> Elon Musk visions were like coming through like when he tried to break the truck. I was like, I want to do it too hard. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Uh, luckily no one leads worship barefoot here. That's right, that's right. But that's what happens when you swing the friendship of hammer and you're not totally committed to being the kind of friend that receives it. When you're like, no, I think I'd actually rather just walk away it isn't just like, well, now we'll stay at that same level. Actually, you become pretty useless, at least in that relationship. And I want to tell you about a friend I have, yeah. uh, actually a mutual friend that we have. Yeah. His name is Steve. And, uh, and Steve and I grew up in high school together, and we went to college. We were part of this group of seven uh, that like went, and we said, we're going to live together. We're going to be friends. The problem was it wasn't Steve and I that were actually friends. It was his friends were the same people as my friends. And so all of freshman year... Uh, it was just kind of known among the seven of us that uh, Steve and I don't really get along. And it wasn't weird. It was like we could be in the same room. But it was just known that, yes, Chris and Steve, like, they're probably not best friends. Because Steve loved basketball, and I loved basketball. Uh, Steve was funny, and I'm hilarious. Steve was not very tall, and I was not very tall. Still am not. Uh, and so there were so many similarities going on. There was this like young male pride that came up, or maybe it's just male pride, but it was like this young man thing where it's like we felt like we were constantly jockeying for position. It went the whole freshman year and then sophomore year. It was obvious we weren't going to be the, uh, in the same apartment, but my four friends are here, his three. We're all one group. And one day at the very beginning of sophomore year, I walked over to his apartment and I said, uh, or I was looking for his two roommates because I wanted to hang out. I was bored. 
And I walked in, and there's Steve in the living room. And it's no big deal. I mean, he's a friend. And, uh, or he's a person. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, hey, Steve, what's up? Um, I said, hey, where's Zach? And he's like, oh, I think he's actually home for the weekend. And I was like, oh, okay. I said, where's Chaney? What's he doing? And he said, oh, I think Chaney has a group project. And I was like, oh, okay, bummer. And so I just turned around to leave because there was nothing here for me. <laughs> and uh, so I'm about to go out the front door, and I know what's happening now. I can look back 12 years removed, and I can be like, oh, this was like the friendship hammer. But in the moment, I don't know if I wanted to fight or if I really felt convicted on something, but I stopped at the door, and I turned around, and I said, Steve, why do you hate me? <laughs> and, uh, and I know what was happening. Steve had all of these, like, thoughts or images or instances where he was cycling through. And in that moment, and I didn't have language for it then, but in that moment, I took the hammer and I swung it. And we were at a fork in the road where Steve, actually the ball was in his court, was he going to go this direction or was he going to go this direction? Was he going to be more towards glass or was he going to choose to maybe start a friendship in steel? And, and so I swung the hammer. Ball's in his court, things are going through his mind, and he said, you know what, I don't really know. And so I swung the hammer of friendship, and he chose to be that very first time to respond and steal. But then he said, Chris, why do you hate me? And I had lots of reasons, and they were really good. <laughs> Most of them founded in my insecurity and pride. But I started to think through them, and I remembered the way that he responded. And instead of giving all the reasons that I didn't like him, I said, you know what, Steve? I don't know. And he swung the hammer. The next year, we actually were becoming good enough friends that we lived together. And at the very beginning of the year, uh, I realized people were coming over to our house a lot. Like, we were the apartment to be at. But it was not just because I was the life of the party, but because Steve was. And he didn't even have to say anything to me. But I started to find myself wanting to tear him down because that would make me look better as people came over and they thought Steve was funny. And, and I remember having a conversation with the Lord where I said, I can either go tear him down or I can just accept that people like Steve, and I felt like the friendship hammer got swung again. Later on that year, Steve uh, was broken up with by his girlfriend, and she was a part of our friend group, and she's great. We really loved her, but Steve was treating her awfully. Like, I think he had had his heart broken. Steve was so mean to her. And so at the end of junior year, I picked up the friendship hammer again, and I said, Steve, look, i got to be honest. I know we're, like, in a good place, and this is okay. But I said, you, you're so mean to her. Like, I don't feel like you're treating her like a normal person would treat someone. I know that, like, there's a past there, but I was like, I really would love to see you guys be able to be in the same room without you being mean. And I took a swing at the hammer, and he said, you know what, Chris, you're right. I think that's true. And he got a little stronger. And then in senior year, I was running everywhere because I'm prone towards busyness, and Steve sat me down, and he said, Chris, I think you're a little too busy. I know you're doing ministry. I know you're in finance, all these things. He said, I really think you're going to regret. I think you're making a mistake at the way that you're living your senior year. And he took a swing at the hammer, and he did that. Steve and I became really, really good friends. And about four or five years ago, I picked up the sledgehammer of friendship. We were friends in college. We were friends a couple years out. And I was about to move to Las Vegas, and I was in the, in the car with him. And I was like, Steve, i got to say, I'm about to go to Vegas. I'm going to be a missionary. I think I might be a pastor. Who knows? We'll see what happens. But I said, I have a hard time going there when I feel like there's work unfinished here. I said, Steve, if I'm honest, I don't feel like you're really following Jesus. I said, it's hard for me to go there and tell people about this thing when I don't feel like one of my good friends. Like, I just don't see the fruit. And I know you agree theologically and there's something there, but I was like, I don't see that. And it 
was the heftiest throw of the hammer yet. And Steve didn't have this profound moment where he's like, I must get saved. But he had this humble response where he said, man, I don't know if that's true, but I, I trust you, and I'm going to think about it. And he let me one last time swing the hammer of friendship, and he chose to be made of steel. And, uh, and that went on for years and years and years. And a couple years ago, uh, after that, he came and visited me in Vegas. And uh, it was about six months after that conversation. And I was sitting there with him, and I remember thinking, man, this guy, like, he's talking about his prayer life. He just met this girl, Leah, whom we love. Yeah. And, and that was a big reason for this. But he's talking about his prayer life. He's talking about the Bible. It seems like he's actually reading it. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, Steve's walking with Jesus. Like there actually was a life change that had happened that he's actually pursuing a relationship with God. And, uh, and a few months after that, after we had swung the hammer countless times, I got to stand up at his wedding and be his best man, which was absurd if you think about six or seven years before. And I got to do, I, was, uh, I hate standing up and speaking publicly if I don't actually believe it. Like there's just the integrity bell that goes off in me. And I got to, I, I didn't have to do that. I got to actually stand up in front of his friends and family and specifically talk to Leah. And I got to say, guys, I believe in this man. And, I've want, and the reason I believe in this man is because I've watched countless interactions of me swinging the hammer. And he's become resilient. He's committed to relationships. And our friendship actually has a bond that's stronger now because we say hard things to each other. And the kind of friends that we dream of, the kind of friends that we want to see happen in our church community are not the ones that shatter at the first sign of conflict, but they're the ones that get stronger and stronger and stronger. Because friendships that are made of glass, they just, they're just not worth it. They just cannot be forged. And the best friendships that you're going to have are those that engage and are constantly swinging the hammer. I promise, I wanted to use Steve because you don't know him. I could do the same thing for us. We have swung the hammer at each other countless times. And it's become stronger and stronger and stronger. And so the enemy multiplies kisses. Remember that. that sometimes it's not the most loving thing to do that. But we want the kind of friendships that are actually forged into steel. And the final practical thing today uh, as it relates to how do I build friendships that will last is to think about embracing self-sacrifice, uh, embracing self-sacrifice. Shel Silverstein, the poet, children's poet, has a little rhyme that I love. He says, I've discovered ways to stay friends forever. There's really nothing to it. I simply tell you what to do and you do it. <laughs> and I think Shel captures what happens to so many of us so frequently in friendship. It's that we can think our friends exist for me. Uh, our friends exist so that I can have something to do on a Friday night, so that I don't have to feel lonely, uh, so that I can try new restaurants and see movies when they open back up, right? Uh, my friends exist for me, for me, for me. And if we want to, th again, think about those words from Jesus, hey, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for one's friends, we've got to flip that script a little bit and say, hey, there's a way if I want to build friendships that can last, that I can embrace self-sacrifice, that I can say, hey, my friends don't just exist for me, but I also, I can exist for them. And there's things that I have that they need. There's time that I have that they could use. There's help that I could provide. And it's a totally different way of looking at things. And yet it's a way that once you're committed to that in a friendship, and especially, this is the magic maker, if the other person in the friendship is committed to that as well, and two people are looking for how they can be of benefit to each other, that is where, when Chris is talking about friendship being forged of steel, there's both the throwing the hammer, but there's also offering the hand of help. And it's like that when both sides are doing that. That will build a friendship that will last. 
When I'm trying to think of like, am I doing this really? Am I really doing this? Uh, one thing I do, like, have you heard of Jesus's like golden rule, do unto others as you have them do unto you? I love to just twist it a little bit. I ask, man, am I friending others as I would love to have others friend me? Am I listening to others the way that I'd want to be listened to? Am I being as kind to others as I'd want my friends to be kind to me? Am I forgiving to others as I'd want others to be forgiving to me? Am I generous with what I have in the way that I'd love for my friends to be generous with me? Are you friending others as you would have others friend unto you? Uh, that can just be a helpful question, a helpful way to be like, man, am I embracing self-sacrifice in this friendship? And so we really, we're really into this. We actually believe that friendship is going to be a core component of this new church. Um, it's such a core component for like looking and forming friends that look like family. Like we talk about that all the time and that's got to be central to as we pursue Jesus and as we read his word, but central to that, we want to have those kinds of friends. And it's not just because we're intellectually convinced of friendship, although we are. It's not just because we're theologically convinced of friendship, although we are. But we're so convinced of this and we wanted to form a community and a church around this because friendship has changed our lives. Friendship has honestly changed our lives. And 13 years ago, we met in a dorm hall and, uh, and we should not have been friends. We actually should never have crossed paths, if you can tell even how we look, how we talk about. But over time, a friendship has been bonded that I cannot even describe to you. It's been in the best moments and in the wor worst moments and we had no idea 13 years ago in Teeter Hall the kind of faithfulness that God was going to provide through this friendship. And we joke all the time about how unlikely it is. And I shouldn't know what Miss Saigon is, but because I'm friends with him, I do. That's right. You're welcome. No, no I don't know. I don't, I don't. But we feel like we've experienced God more and more because of the friendship that we have. And we weren't supposed to cross paths. We weren't supposed to be friends, but God. Yeah, and so much has happened um, since then. I mean, I think of that, yeah, that first interaction in a Bible study, and then just as more time has gone and time has gone. I mean, we've been on trips together. We've sent so many texts. We used to send emails before you could text so easily, so we were emailing all the thousands of emails. Uh, we've sat in fast food restaurants, fine dining, saw our first Broadway show together. Uh, My first Broadway your show. First, that's true, that's true. My, yeah. Uh, but, you know, so there's been high highs, and then also there's been difficult times, and we've prayed and we've cried together. I mean, we were talking even this week about our relationship. But as you know, in college, maybe this was your experience, it's easy for like a lot of people to hang out in a big group in college. And then sort of as time goes on, people go their separate ways. They usually couple up and settle down. And while so many of our friends were getting married and having kids, uh, I wasn't getting married and Chris and Kat weren't having kids. And in that shared moment of difficulty, or as we each walked our own paths uh, that were tougher and unique mm -hmm. for various reasons, uh, it was great to have a friend who had had so much history and also was who committed in such a way that you knew there was a bright future ahead and just that there was someone who could forge you and grow you um, and make both of us, I mean, as we've said, the kind of people that we've become and hopefully the kind of people that we're becoming. Um, and that's our desire and our wish for every one of us. We think uh, there's this little line that I love. I think of all the time people talk about friendship is those relationships that double your joys and have your sorrows. And I think that's absolutely true that some of the highest highs in my life would not have been the same without Chris there. Um, and similarly, some of the really difficult valleys weren't as deep as they could have been without a good friend um, at my side. 
And so we're so committed to um, experiencing more of Jesus together. And, and we think this is going to happen through his word. Like we're really big fans of what happens when you read and understand the Bible, what happens when you have like a living prayer life, uh, what happens and how we use experiences to shape us. But we know that God has used and blessed friendship. And we've become more like Jesus because of that. And what motivates us to stay committed to a friendship that is usually really good, sometimes hard, is because we've become more like Jesus with each other. And guys, if I'm honest, our agenda is for everyone to have friends like this. Our agenda for this church is we want everyone to have a friend or have friends that last for a lifetime. And we want to be the kind of friends that our friends deserve. And if I'm telling you what my personal inspiration is, simply put, I want to be the kind of friend that Tyler deserves. Yeah, and I want to be the kind of friend that Chris deserves. And together, I mean, sincerely, we think as a church, we want to be the kinds of friends our friends deserve, that our friends need, um, and kinds of great joy and kinds of trouble. And so I hope today that we've painted a little bit of a picture of why that's worth it, uh, why it's worth cultivating self-awareness and being the kind of friend that's forged in steel and not just shatters with glass and that continues to pursue self-sacrifice so that something deep and lasting can be grown. And so now we're going to do what we always do at this moment in our service. We're going to have a little more time to worship and connect with God. And this will be a great time if there's anything that you need prayer for to meet the people in the back of our rooms. Folks would love to pray for you sort of behind these little partial walls or whatever they are, what we call them there. Um, there will be space, too, if you need to finish your note or if you need to even ask God, like, man, Lord, why has it been so hard for me to have friends? Or is there an old friend that I need to reconnect with? Or is there someone here in this room that you're calling me to be a friend to? But whatever it is that you need to do in this moment, please don't miss the opportunity to think about friendship and to think about the fact that God likely wants to grow you through friendship and to maybe consider that challenge. Hey, am I the kind of friend my friend deserves? Am I the kind of friend my friend deserves? What could help me, Lord, become that kind of friend? So would you do that now, and then we'll worship, and we'll come back and close in a bit.